Good to be in the house of the Lord. Proverbs chapter number two is where we're going to be. Proverbs chapter number two, if you're, if you have an old Schofield reference Bible, it's page 673 is where we're going to be this evening, 673. And uh, as you know, last week we kind of took a break from the study on Proverbs, and then we, we're going to get back on that tonight. And I, I honestly really enjoyed looking into Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, to me, it just really all clicked in my mind, made sense as far as how the flow of the whole chapter goes. So hopefully I can convey that to you as the Lord has put it on my heart. But it's good to be in church tonight. I hope you all are having a good week. And, uh, you know, like Brother Brian was praying, it's good to come to the house of the Lord on a Wednesday night and just kind of hit the reset button. Maybe you had a rough day at work Monday or Tuesday or today or maybe you're just plumb worn out, or maybe the, the devil's been on your shoulder this week about something. It's good to be in the house of the Lord and maybe get a little bit of encouragement, whether it's from the preaching, from the special music, from the, the fellowship, whatever your case might be. We hope that the Lord will speak to you tonight. Well, we're looking forward to the services on Sunday. Don't forget about those. I just want to encourage you to be faithful to, to our Lord and to our church, and I know you're faithful. You're here on a Wednesday night, and uh, so it's good to be here tonight. Well, I was doing some reading the other day, and I came across an interesting story, and I normally don't like to read stories, but I'm going to read this story just so I don't mess it up, but there was a married couple, Brenda and Terry, and they were going out for, for an evening, and uh, so what they did is they called the taxi, and the taxi came. The last thing they do when they go out like that is they put their cat out, and so what they did, the taxi arrived, and then as the couple walked out of the house, the cat scooted back into the house. Terry returns inside to chase it out. Brenda not wanting it known that the house would be empty, so she was just kind of concerned that the taxi driver would figure out that the house was empty. Uh, she said, explains to the taxi driver, my husband's just going upstairs to say goodbye to my mother, she said. Several minutes later, an exhausted Terry arrives and climbs back into the taxi saying, sorry it took so long, honey. That stupid idiot was hiding under the bed, and I had to poke her with a coat hanger several times before I could get her to come out. So you can just imagine what the taxi thinker, taxi uh, driver was thinking at that point. So, you know, why do mother-in-laws get such a bad rap? I have never figured that out. You know, uh, I read, I came across the other day a, 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 a definition of mixed emotions. You know what the definition of mixed emotions are? Seeing your mother-in-law go off the side of a cliff in your brand new Cadillac. That's mixed emotions right there, so... Some of you got that a little bit slow, so, uh, but uh, that's mixed emotions right there. But anyway, we better quit before I see some tomatoes getting thrown up here. Better get into the Word of God. Proverbs chapter number 2. Proverbs is a wonderful book. It's an instructional book. Who do we say wrote the book of Proverbs? Who wrote the book of Proverbs? Anybody know? Solomon. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And Solomon, if you know anything about Bible history, he was given, uh, uh, you know, he was given a wish by God. And God said, if you, you can wish one thing, what do you wish for? And Solomon said, Lord, if you'll just give me wisdom. And God gave him that wish. And he, he was known as the, the wisest person that ever lived. He was a very prosperous king. And he was writing to his son Rehoboam. And his son Rehoboam, at the end of his life, it was said that Rehoboam did evil. He was the direct opposite of his father. His father, uh, where, where he was told he was very wise, but his son, we're not told anywhere in the scripture where Rehoboam asked 
for wisdom. And maybe that was one of his downfalls. But the book of Proverbs is a, a father writing to a son. So just get the picture of that. What a wonderful father for a father to take time and try to instruct his son. The father is telling his son how to live. He says, I'm going to take uh, 31 chapters and I'm going to write this. I'm going to write it to my son that he might be a good boy when he grows up and become a good, godly man. And there's a God-given desire really within all of us, whether you're a mother or you're a father, to be a good parent. And that is a God-given desire. So we, we broke the word Proverbs into two words. It just basically means pro and, and verb or Proverbs. The pro just means for, and then verb or verba just simply means words. So the book of Proverbs is four words. And we see there's really about seven key words that we went over weeks and weeks ago. One of those key words was the word walk. Solomon is writing to Rehoboam. He says, Rehoboam, I want you to guard your walk. Be careful who you hang around. Be careful who you are around. Then he goes on and speaks about wisdom, and he's trying to impart wisdom, and he, he, he compares the wise person to the foolish person. He compares the, the, the prudent person or, or he compares them to the simple person. Then he also goes on and speaks about words, how we're supposed to watch how we talk. We need to guard our words. I was listening to a radio broadcast just this morning morning uh, by somebody and they were talking about their words and how we need to guard in what we say and just the the quick little two or three seconds and we'll just stop and think about what we're going to say before we say it it can save us a lot of trouble and so Solomon's writing to Rehoboam he says guard your words guard your mouth boy how many times maybe as a husband or as a spouse or as a child, or maybe as a coworker, or maybe as an employer, do we say something and we go, oh, Lord, I say that. I shouldn't have said that. Let's guard our words. Then he goes on and talks about women, how we need to watch for the strange woman. Then he goes on and talks about wine. And the Bible says much about it in the book of Proverbs, how we're not even to look upon it, how wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging, and whosoever deceived thereby is not wise. Then he speaks about the word wealth and how we're supposed to, it's okay to, to have money, but let's not let have money have us. And then he goes on and speaks about work. You know, we should not be slothful. We should work. So that was kind of the first week. Then we talked about uh, the prohibitions of, of a king. And we know how Solomon uh, broke three different prohibitions. He wasn't supposed to multiply horses. He wasn't supposed to get horses from Egypt. What did he do? He had like 1,200 horses. So he broke that rule. Then the prohibition number two was you can't multiply wives. So here he is as a king, and he multiplies wives. We all know that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So we know he broke that prohibition to the nth degree. Uh, then the prohibition number three, he was not supposed to greatly multiply wealth. Well, we know he broke that when Solomon was the, the richest person that lived also. So w w you ask yourself, how could Rehoboam, the son, grow up and be such a rebel? We kind of brought this out a few weeks ago, how maybe it was the fact that Solomon said one thing, but then his actions or his life did a whole separate thing. He was inconsistent. And we talked about maybe that's the reason. I don't know for sure, but maybe that's the reason why Rehoboam uh, turned out to be really one of the most wicked kings that ever lived. He went against everything his dad wrote about in the book of Proverbs. Perhaps maybe it was because his dad was inconsistent. He told his son how to avoid strange women, but he didn't do it. He told his son how to be careful about riches, 
But he disobeyed the, the prohibition. I can't explain it. You know, sometimes somebody will come from a good family. Maybe there's four or five brothers and sisters all in the family, and one of them goes haywire, and the other three or four are just fine. They, they, they both grew up in the same home. They both had the good Bible teaching. They all were faithful to church, and they were all raised by the same mom and dad. I can't explain how that happens, but maybe every once in a while there's one that goes berserk. But, but we know this for sure, that our children are watching more of us than they're listening to us. You know, I can say one thing to my kids, but if I do it completely different, what are they going to pick up on? They're going to pick on what they see, not what they hear. And they, the kids are like sponges. They just soak it in. The father knew how to write it, but he didn't live what he wrote. Then we, we spoke a little bit about the simple versus the prudent. We'll move right along. We talked about being careful about who you hang around. If you lie down with the dogs, you'll come up with the fleas. We said nearness is likeness. Then a couple weeks ago, we spoke, we spoke about the, the progression, how we need to get instruction. Then we need to get knowledge or understanding, so we know how to act in a certain situation, and then that turns it can turn into wisdom, where we actually take that instruction, it then becomes knowledge, and then it becomes wisdom if we stay close to the Lord and we desire it. That's acting it out. That's taking that knowledge, that's taking that instruction, and applying it and doing what we know to do. So that's kind of the, pro pro the progression of instruction, Knowledge and understanding, and then wisdom. And so then tonight we're going to look at Proverbs chapter number 2. And we also spoke about, uh, a couple weeks ago, we spoke about the need for wisdom. We spoke about the foundation for wisdom. What's the foundation for wisdom? The foundation for wisdom, it says in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So the whole beginning of wisdom is we have to fear God in our life. Do we fear God? Do we live our life with a holy reverence for God, thinking, God, you are watching everything I do. You know every thought that I think. You know everything that I say. You know every action that I do. You know everything that I listen to. That's the foundation for wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Then we looked at the rejection of wisdom. Just because you realize the need for wisdom, just because you, you realize the foundation for wisdom is the beginning, is the fear of the Lord, if, if you turn around and just say, well, I don't want that. I know what the Bible says, but I don't want that. You've now rejected it. You're not going to be wise. So now that takes us to chapter number two. And I want to say as we start this, on this journey called life, there are many choices on this journey of life. Life is a series of of choices. We said last week that life, I kind of used the analogy about dispatching, where life is what happens while you're busy making plans. But along that line is life is a series of choices. So let's say you're thrown a curveball or you're thrown a lemon and you want to make lemonade with it in your life. You have to make that choice. So we then have to live with the consequences of our choices. Whatever choice we make, we're going to have to live with that choice. We've heard it said before that all choices have children. And I want to say tonight that you're looking at a man who has made a lot of 
good choices. You say, well, that's, that's very proud, Brother Mark, but I also want to say you're also looking at a man that has made some bad choices. Do I glory in those? No. You're looking at a man who has joy over some of the right choices that I make, but you're also looking at a man who has maybe a regret or two over some choices that I've made. Maybe I've said a harsh word to someone, or maybe I made a bad decision towards my children, or maybe I made a hasty decision about something. I can't change those decisions. And I want to encourage you in your Christian life. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to beat each and every one of you up for maybe if you make a bad decision or you have made a bad decision. Boy, the devil wants to just jump on your shoulder and say, hey, I know what you did last night. I know what you thought. I know what you said. He wants to get you down and beat you down. Don't confess it, forsake it, and move on. Just move on for the glory of the Lord. We, we can't get mired up. I don't want to get mired up in the bad decisions that I've made. Maybe I was har harsh towards a child, or maybe I said something I shouldn't have said to, us, to my spouse. I don't want to beat myself up over that. I know I'll live with the consequences, and you are too, but I want to encourage you. Just press forward. Life is a pathway. It's a journey. Don't destroy the journey. Life is Wonderful. You know, I'm glad I'm alive in this time in 2021. I'm glad I'm in this area, in the Piedmont Triad area of North Carolina. You say, well, it's so dark out there, Brother Mark. Do you know that the, you know, the government's trying to push this, and there's this legislation in the pipeline, and there's this Equality Act moving along? Do you know about all that? I want to say, the darker the night, the brighter the light. You know, if we'll just stand up and say, hey, I'm going to shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we sing that song, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Are we going to let our light shine for the Lord Jesus Christ? The book of Proverbs, throughout the book, 116 different times, the words that refer to the path are mentioned. 58 times throughout the book of Proverbs, we see the word way. 29 times we see the word ways. 12 times we see the word path. And then seven times we see the word paths. So you put all that together, 116 times there's the word path. So Solomon is writing to his son, Rehoboam. He says, watch your ways on the pathway of life. You know, we need to guide. We need to watch our children. Chapter number two, if you'll have your Bible there, chapter number two, we're just going to kind of skim through some of these verses and how it says here, right in this chapter, 15 different times in these 22 verses, we see the word way, walk, path, or paths. And if you're in the habit of maybe, maybe making notes in your Bible, maybe you want to circle these words or underline them or, or highlight them or whatever you want to do. Verse number 7, it says, He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. If you want to circle walk. And then num verse number 8, it says, He keepeth the paths of judgment, the word path, then and preserveth the way of his saints. There's the word way again. Then verse number nine, thou shalt, uh, then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. Then jump down to verse number 12. It says to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh froward things, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Then verse number 15, whose ways are crooked and they froward in their paths. And then verse number 18, for her house inclineth unto death and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the 
paths of life. Then verse number 20, that thou mayest walk in the way of good men and keep the paths. So throughout this whole chapter, 15 different times, Solomon's writing to Rehoboam. He says, hey, watch your walk, watch your way, watch your path. Do you get the emphasis? He's trying to put, hey, life is full of choices. We're on a journey of life. Life is the summary of choices that we make on the journey of life. Life is the choices that we make when God has other plans. When God comes to your life and says, I'm going to rearrange your life here. How we react determines our journey. How we respond to that determines our journey. Life is made up of choices. We must walk the right path. There are two paths. The Bible does teach us that. Matthew 7 and verse number 13 and 14, it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And then it says, And many there be which go in thereat. Then it says in verse number 14, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now I know the primary interpretation of that refers to getting into heaven and salvation. But I think we, can, we won't do any injustice to the scriptures if I say that broad is the way for folks that don't make good choices and live not according to the Bible or according to the word of God. Narrow, few there be that find the straight and narrow way. Few there be that walk according to this Bible. If you work a secular job, you know there are few that walk according to the Bible. What do they talk about on a Monday morning after work? They don't talk about how good church was on Sunday. They talk about the party they went to on Friday night. They talk about their sin maybe on Saturday night. They talk about the hangover that they had Sunday morning from drinking too much. Why? Because broad is the way. Many there be that go in there in that but, but narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. I want to encourage you. Let's find the narrow way. Let's, let's go. I want to be as narrow as the Word of God is. I want to be what the Bible would have me to be. I want to make right choices. Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 15, it says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the God's which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know what Joshua was saying? He said, hey, I understand there are choices, and I'm choosing to serve the Lord. And I know I'm preaching at the choir on a Wednesday night. You're here, you're faithful, but I want to encourage us throughout our life. Let's choose to serve the Lord. You think about Moses in the, in the book of Hebrews. Moses, he chose to serve the Lord and not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Daniel, in the book of Daniel chapter number one and verse number eight, it says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Daniel said, hey, those, that meat was offered to idols. I'm not going to partake of that. I'm going to be different. Will you dare to be different tonight? Just like these men, we will face the same decision from time to time. We're going to have to face decisions where are we going to choose the broad way or the narrow way? Are we going to choose to serve evil or to serve the Lord? When you choose to follow God, God will open up the windows of heaven. He wants to pour out the blessings that far surpass the temporary joy of sin. 
You know what raising a teenager is all about? It's getting them to try to realize that, hey, you want to move away from the temporary joys of sin, and you want to move to the blessings of serving God. You want to move to the blessings of, of choosing right and doing right. That's why Brother Allen's over there with his wife and working with our teenager and trying to teach them the Word of God. That's why our master clubs are over there trying to teach these young people the Word of God. You know, I'm not sure how many of you have seen the show called Wild Kratz. Maybe some of you have children. Anybody familiar with that show in here? The show Wild Kratz? Three of us. Good, good. Uh, but I, I'm familiar with it. Mason loves it. It's, it's a, what it is. It's really a neat show. Children can learn a lot watching this show. It's an interesting show. It, it shows a lot of interesting facts about animals and stuff like that. But Wild Kratz is an American-Canadian live action. They kind of start off with live action where these two, these two brothers, Martin and Chris Kratt, they actually uh, kind of film it. They talk about it, and then they jump into kind of like an animation part of the cartoon and everything. And they talk, the, the, really the aim of the show is to educate children about biology, zoology, and ecology. The, there's a popular phrase that they use to really springboard from the live part of it or from the, the real life part of it into the animation. And it's two little words that they say. It's the words, what if? Like, let's say if they're talking about an elephant, and they're talking about how powerful the tusk of an elephant is. They might say, uh, what if you had the power of an elephant? Now, they don't just say it like that. They go like this. They go, what if? And then they break into their animation part. But you know what? I want to give a title to my message tonight. The title, I would say, is this, Proverbs chapter 2, is the biblical version of Wildcrats. Proverbs chapter 2 is basically writing and saying, what if? What if you as a Christian do this? There's several what ifs or conditional statements in this chapter. Look at verse number one. It says in chapter number two, it says, My son, what's that next word? If. If thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with me so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart unto understanding. So the Bible's saying, if thou wilt receive my words. Then he goes on to say in verse number three, yea, what's the next word? If. If thou criest after knowledge and lifteth, liftest up thy voice for understanding. Then verse number four, the very first word, what's that word? If. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures. So basically, in these first four verses, we see three times the word if. That's a conditional statement. And when we say conditional statement, it means if you do this, this is going to happen. That's a conditional statement. And so just like Wildcrats, they say, what if, I want to say to you and, and to myself, what if we as the people of God do what's, what's written right here in chapter number two? If thou wilt receive my words, do we take in the word of God. Then he says, if thou wilt hide my commandments. You know what that is? That's simply valuing the word of God. How much do you value the word of God? How much do I value the word of God? Then he says, if thou wilt incline your, your ear to wisdom and apply thine heart unto understanding. So if we value the word of God, if we put great uh, uh, importance on the word of God, then all of a sudden we're going to cry after it. Our, our, we're going we're gonna to want to receive it. We want our ear to hear it. We want our heart to understand it. And so our, our ear and our mind then become captivated by it. I mean, we think now we value it, 
but now my ear wants it. My mind is captivated by it. My heart wants to get it. Then in verse number three, it says, Yea, if thou criest after knowledge. Do we cry after knowledge? Do we seek it? I mean, do we really go after it? Do we lift up our voice for understanding? I mean, do, do we cry after knowledge? Do we, do we wake up in the morning just crying for God to help me, help me, give me understanding, give me wisdom in my life, give me wisdom at my job, give me wisdom as I train my children, give me wisdom as I, as I seek to be a godly example to my, my grandchildren. Do we cry after knowledge? Do we seek her as silver? It says in verse number four, if thou seekest her as silver. I don't know about you, but if you had some gold laying around and you happened to lose some of that gold, boy, you would go out searching for it. I played a joke on Mason the other day. I shouldn't have done this. I've got a bad sense of humor. Mason got some money for his birthday a while back, and he knew exactly how much he had, and so he pulled it out, and he's, you know, uh, thumbing through his $20 bills and everything, all excited about it, and Mason's directly opposite from Brooke. Mason will hoard money for, like, the rest of his life and never spend it. Brooke, you give her five bucks, and within about 2.3 seconds, it's spent. I mean, complete polar opposite, but he was, he was talking about the money, and I said, let me count it. So I got next to his bed, and I pulled out the, I grabbed the money, and as I'm counting, he didn't see, and I dropped several of the bills and put it under the bed. I said, Mason, you don't have X amount of dollars. I said, you only got this amount of money. He kind of got worried, and he said, I said, man, 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 go talk to your mom. Maybe, maybe she borrowed a little bit of money, you know? Maybe times got rough. She went and borrowed it or something. He comes back. He didn't know I did it again. I dropped even more money. So like half his stash is down underneath the bed now. And you can see he's starting to get all worried, you know, 10-year-old boy, you know, I'm cruel. I'm cruel. And he started getting worried. He said, Dad, I had X amount of dollars. I said, Mason, I don't know what happened. But you know what? He started going around searching for it. He started asking Mom, Mom, do you, what happened to my money? Brooke, did you take my money? He's searching for it. He's, he's looking for it. Are we that same way with wisdom? Do we search for it when we think, okay, I don't have the wisdom that maybe I thought I had in this situation. I'm going to go search for it. I'm going go to go talk to the Lord about it. And Lord, would you give me wisdom? The book of James says that we're to ask God for wisdom, and he'll give it to us. Are we asking for it? Do we cry for it? Do we seek her as silver? Do we search for her as hidden treasure? So that shows there's a looking for it. Do we seek wisdom? You know, how is this going to happen? How are we going to get wisdom? Only if we hide God's word in our heart. Look at Psalm 119 and verse number 11. It says, thy word have I hid in mine heart. What's the result of that? If I hide God's word in my heart, what's the result? That I might not sin against thee. And I've said this before, but sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. There's no doubt about it. The more we are in the Word of God, my own life can attest to this. The more that I'm in the Word of God, it seems like the less of a pool the world has on me. The less of a pool the devil has on me. The less of a pool my flesh has on me. Not that we ever get rid of those things, but there's a less of a pool. Sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. I brought this illustration out to the high school chapel a couple of uh, Tuesdays ago, and I asked them this question, and I want to ask it to you. From January 1 until today, there's been 76 days. So 76 different times you probably pillowed your head and got back up. Just by way of you thinking and doing some introspection into your life, 
How many of those days have you been in this book? How many days have you been in the Word of God? How many days have you opened up the Word of God and said, God, will you give me some wisdom? Will you give me some knowledge? Will you help me to understand? Will you help me to live right? That's not to beat you up. Maybe, you're, maybe you, you'd say, Brother Mark, I'm 70 out of 76 days. Praise the Lord. Maybe you're 50. Maybe you're 40. Maybe you're 30. Anything is good, but let's try to be faithful with that. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Mason and I were going up the road the other day, and we were, we were traveling somewhere. We were going to spend some time together, and he started asking me some questions about uh, a certain topic and everything. I started quoting him a scripture verse. And uh, it was Philippians 4, 8, the verse about if there be any praise, if there be any virtue, think on these things. And I started, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say, I started slaughtering the verse and not really doing a good job. He said, Dad, I know those verses. He backed up about three or four verses and then said all the verses leading right up to uh, Philippians 4, 8. And I was like, wow, you're, you're, what's he doing? He's hiding God's word in his heart. That's what we need to do. Life is a series of decisions. There is a choice. Will we listen to God speaking. Will teenagers, I know they're in another room, but we challenge them. Will they listen to their mom and dad? Children, will they listen to their mom and dad? Will they listen to a youth pastor? Will they listen to a pastor? Will they listen to a school teacher? Will they listen to a school staff? Will we take in the word of God? Do we cry after it? I think about my mind sometimes is it kind of thinks in way of pictures, but I imagine a little baby bird and what does that baby bird do? It sits in the nest. And what does mama bird do? It goes out and gets a worm, brings it back to the baby bird. And then what does that baby bird do? It opens its mouth real wide and just asks for that worm. Are we like that little baby bird? God, give me wisdom. Give it to me. I want it. Do we seek it? Do we, do we go after it? You know, I thought about this. When our pastor gets up and rails on sin, do we bow up? Or do we think, boy, he's preaching the word of God. He's trying to help me. So many people will bow up and then all of a sudden they shoot an email to the preacher the next day and this, say this, or say that, or they, he gets a phone call and all he's trying to do is preach the word of God to us. All he's trying to do is sincerely help us and help us draw closer to the Lord. Do we bow up? I want to ask you, what if? What if we cried after? What if we received God's word in our heart? What if we cried after knowledge? What if we sought her as silver and just went after her? We see the consequences, verses number five through eight. What's a consequence? If we do these things, here's a consequence. Verse number five, it says, the result is you'll understand the fear of the Lord. Look at verse number five. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. So that's the result. The if is verse one through four, but verse number five says, hey, if you'll do that, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. We're not gonna understand the fear of the Lord unless we do those conditional statements. And then it says in verse number six, it talks about God and what he does. What does God do? It says, for the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Verse number seven, he layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. Boy, we need wisdom. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. That's what God does. That's the first consequence. Look at the second consequence. Consequence number two is verse number nine. Then it says, then, so the if-then statements, it says, then that shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. 
I don't know all that's implied right there, what it all means, but I know it sounds really, really good, and that's what I want for my life. I want to understand the fear of the Lord. I want to understand righteousness. I want to understand judgment. I need wisdom. Then verse number 10 and 11, it says, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. These are some good Results. So those are some of the consequences. What's the purpose of this what if? If we cry after knowledge, if we seek her as, sil seek her as silver, what are the two purposes? There are two purposes listed, verse number 12 and verse number 16. Look at the verse, verse number 12. So what's the purpose of this? Verse number 12 says, To deliver thee from the way of, ev of the evil man. If we're going to do these things, if we're going to seek wisdom, if we're going to cry after knowledge, what's going to happen? We'll be delivered from the way of the evil man. How many of you have ever just in your heart got sick and tired of just getting tripped up by the same sin over and over and over again? My hand's up. I mean, that presumptuous sin, that one that we just keep going back to and going back to, if we're going to be delivered from it, we're going to have to seek after God. We're going to have to seek after wisdom. So the way of the evil man. Then look at verse number 16. So not, our, not only will we be delivered from the way of the evil man, but then look down at verse number 16. It says, to deliver thee from the strange woman. So now we're going to be delivered from the strange woman. You know, there are some, some folks we ought not to, to hang around. Some folks will destroy you. Some folks will destroy me. Not, it's not just good for the youth that we preach that to. You know, I'd be very, very careful about someone who ridicules the church. I'd be very careful about hanging around somebody that gossips about another member. I'd be very careful about hanging around somebody that criticizes the choir leader. I'd be very careful about somebody who criticizes a Sunday school teacher or a youth director or a pastor. That's very, very dangerous. Why? It's not just a subtle few words, but all of a sudden those words can get into your heart and you can get spoiled and you can get kind of sideways with the preacher. You can get sideways with the, with the, 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 the deacons. You can get sideways with the Sunday school teacher. You can get sideways with just Christianity as a whole. I want to be delivered from the way of the evil man. I want to be delivered from the strange woman. Chapters 5 through 7 talks about the strange woman. But all this prep work determines how you're going to, what you're going to decide in the moment. You take Seth Maynard. Seth Maynard coaches our ball team. I guarantee you that if you were to ask him, what is the greatest factor in how your team plays well, they're going up to a tournament, so they'll be playing probably tomorrow and Friday. If we were to ask Brother Seth Maynard, Seth, Brother Seth, what is the greatest determinant in how well you guys play in this tournament? He would say, without question, I'm sure, it's all in how we practiced. It's all in how we took the drills that we knew to do and applied them and how serious we, we practiced. It's not just about talent. It's about practicing. It's about work. And that's the same way it is with our Christian life. How we practice day in and day out. Are we practicing in the Word of God? Are we practicing with our prayer life? And then all of a sudden you get a temptation two days later. If you've been in the Word of God, you've practiced well, it's going to help you in that temptation. It's all about how we practice. Look at verse number 17. So we, we can be delivered from the way of the evil man, verse number 12. Verse number 16, we can be delivered from the strange woman, 
And I, I came across this in my study. This is interesting. Verse number 17, it's still speaking about the strange woman. It says, which forsaketh the guide of her youth. I don't know how you are, but anytime I come across that word strange woman, I, my mind always goes to, to maybe somebody that, to be discreet, someone that walks the streets per se. But it's interesting to say, which forsaketh the guide of her youth. That's implying she had a good guide in her life. She used to have a good guide, and now she has forsaken that guide. But not only has she forsaken the guide of her youth, but she's also forgotten the covenant of her God. You know, to me, I just think, oh, this is just a heathen lady. But this is somebody who obviously had a good guide in her life. She also forgot the covenant of her God. So that goes to show that somebody with a good upbringing, they can forsake it, they can forget it, and they can get on a bad track, male or female, that goes to say. But this woman, she abandoned the right path. She was doing right, but she chose to do wrong. May we figure out what is right and just stick with it. May we figure out what is right and just stay, stay next to it for the rest of our life. May we determine in our heart, hey, I am going to be faithful to God's house Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm going to be around the Word of God. I'm going to be around godly music that honors Christ. I'm going to be around godly influences. I'm going to have a prayer life that honors God. You say, well, where is that found in the Bible that I'm to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Well, we could go to the book of Acts where Acts says, and daily in the temple, they went to church every single day. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it's not so bad after all. And it's the least we can do. That's our reasonable service. I pray that we'll, we'll begin to pray and look forward to Sunday coming up. Then in verse number 20 through 22, and we'll close. I'm aware of what time it is. Verses number 20 through 22 is the summary. He's trying to wrap this whole chapter up. So we've got the what if statements. Hey, what if you sought for wisdom? We'll have some consequences. Some good will come our way. We'll be delivered from, this, from the way of the evil man. We'll be delivered from the strange woman. But then look in verse number 20. That thou mayest walk in the way of good men. If we have wisdom, we'll walk in the way of good men. We'll get around other godly men in the church. We'll get around other godly people in the church and be influenced for right. And keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. Then it says in verse 22, But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be rooted out. I want to ask you, will you seek after instruction Will you seek understanding? Will you seek wisdom? You can be delivered from the way of the evil man. You can be delivered from the strange woman. Solomon wrote 22 verses telling his son, Hey, son, you're going to have to make choices. Will you make the right ones? Whatever choices you make, we're going to have to live with them. I'm going to have to live with them. You're going to have to live with them. I want to have blessings and not regrets. I want to ask you, what if? Proverbs chapter number 2, a good chapter on what if? The biblical version of Wildcrest. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And as you